Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because He loves you so much. So glad that uh, you're with us. And I want to wish you a happy Father's Day weekend. I hope you're having fun and uh, connecting as a family. Uh, I ran across this uh, study a little while ago uh, where these guys were researching penalty kicks. Uh, in professional soccer. And they found that if the click kick was going to clinch the win, like, okay, we'll put this one in and we'll have the victory, uh, that that professional soccer player made it 92% of the time. But then they found when it was just going to like bring the game back to a tie or it was going to keep them into the game, then the professional soccer player would only put it through 62% of the time. And so one of the conclusions that they made from the study is that playing to win always works better than playing not to lose. Now, there's also some ideas about how pressure affects us and the rest, but doesn't everyone hate watching people playing not to lose? Like, isn't that the worst part of a football game when they're starting to play prevent defense? You're like, oh my goodness, this is so boring and it never works. John Madden, he hated prevent defense. He would say, well, it makes my players play way too conservatively and they're aware of everything and they're doing nothing. And you know what I think? Uh, I mean, I see it in my sermons. Like if I'm like trying not to stink, I'm trying to create a sermon, just, just, I just don't want it to stink. That's when it stinks the worst, isn't it? Or, but when I'm like, I want to change the world and I want to see God move forward and I want to advance, that's when I can preach. Or how about churches? When churches just try to maintain and hold on to what they have, I mean, isn't that usually the death toll, uh, death knoll of a church that it's like, yeah, they're just kind of holding on. And once a church starts holding on, you might as well just kiss it goodbye. Because you know what? That's just not what the kingdom does. The kingdom goes forward. It's it's meant to be more like a river than a reservoir. You know, we don't just kind of fill up and gather. God pours in and we pour out. And I want to challenge you and encourage you that I think it's the same thing for your family. That it's not meant to just, oh, we're just going to kind of hold on. You know, if we could just survive this thing. I I remember uh, when I was raising my kids, uh, Focus on the Family, Dr. Dobson came out with this idea. I think it was him. And he was talking about how, well, the teen years, it's kind of like you're you're putting a kid in a canoe and sending them down the rapids and you just kind of hope your kid survives. And, and I, you know, that's true. Uh, We can't control them and we nudge them. But you know what? I, I just don't think that your family was meant to just survive. You know, we got to play not to lose. I think your family was meant to win. And even if they're teenagers, uh, your family is meant to thrive. And that, that's what I want to talk about. And so, and when it comes to our faith and our Christianity, church, I think one of our big problems is we've been playing not to lose. Like, oh, we just got to hold on to this and just got to hold on to that. And you know what's happening as we're just playing not to lose? We're losing. And, you know, what are we going to do? Just kind of hang on and be the last church standing until it all falls around us? You know, we're going to be the last city. We're going to be the last family. And I would say absolutely not. We are meant to go forward in the kingdom and go forward in the fight. Because the kingdom doesn't just hold on. It just doesn't hold up. It pours out. The kingdom advances. And so last week, we looked at Joshua And he was gearing up for his big battle that he had with Jericho. And we talked about how do you encourage yourself and how do you be strong and courageous in the midst of those things? Well, this week, we're going to actually get into the battle. And we're going to talk about how do we engage the battle. And guys, come on. You don't have to look too hard to see that we are in a big battle out there. I mean, we're in a fight right now. And I, I just, church, listen, it is time. Let's stop 
fighting to not lose. And let's fight to win this battle. We are meant to win this battle for our homes and our communities. So how did Joshua win? Well, if you have your Bible, open it up to Joshua 5, and let's look at verse 2. And it says, okay, so this is right before they go into the promised land. And it says in verse 2, At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. So just before he goes, well, not just before, because they needed to rest a little bit afterwards and recover, but before the battle, he goes and he has all the people circumcised. And circumcision, it's a sign of being set apart, but it's more than that. It's a sign of purification. And so that's one of the first things that we have to do if we're going to fight, is we have to purify ourselves. In Acts 7, uh, I think it's verse 51, Stephen, he's talking to the Israelites, to the Pharisees. He says, you guys are stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts, and you always resist the Holy Spirit. And see, it's a clear uh, understanding that circumcision for us now is to circumcise our hearts, to be responsive to the Holy Spirit, and to purify, purify ourselves. And so if you're going to fight right now for your family or your school or your work, we always, in any battle we're about to engage with, we always start with our own heart. We always start with our own responsiveness to the Holy Spirit. See, because Israel here was God's direct agent. I mean, God was going to do something big. He's going to clean things up through Israel. But first, like he always does, is he starts with his own people. And he says, okay, you're going to go clean things up. But first, you got to get cleaned up. And it's the same thing for us. And that he demanded that they get their act together first before they go out and try to get everybody else's act together. And the thing, guys, humility is such better fighting ground. Get this, humility is such better fighting ground than hypocrisy, right? I mean, isn't it the world's, it's like the world's favorite thing. I mean, you'll see it all over when it happens. You'll see stories all about it. That doesn't the, the media love when a pastor is like, who's been going after immorality and he's busted with pornography, right? Because th th then they can say, now don't tell us what to do. And what the favorite word, you hypocrite. Now listen, you can't be perfect. We can't be perfect but we can be humble and we can be honest with our brokenness. I mean, God, remember, that's the whole point of Jesus, right? That's the thing that brings us all together is we all need Jesus. So here's an error. A lot of us think, well, I can't say anything. I can't do anything. I can't lead my family until I get my stuff together. And, and like what Dwight, Dwight Schrute would say in the office, false, that is false. See, what's true, what's a fact is, is not I can't do anything until I get my stuff together. What's true is really I, I probably shouldn't say anything until I'm honest with my stuff, okay? You don't have to get it all worked out. You just have to admit, hey, I'm broken too. I don't have it all figured out. But listen, what's wrong is wrong. And, and just because you have wrong in you doesn't mean that you can't say, well, that's wrong as well, right? We just start with ourselves and then we're honest with what we see in our families and in our schools and in our city. It's, and you know, the truth is to come from humility, it's often a much, much better way to go about it anyway. I mean, think, for example, like you're at work and uh, you, you could say this. Here's example one. Well, you're not pulling your weight on this project and I'm doing all the work. Okay, it's true. I'm right. You're wrong. But, but if you start with humility and if it's true, I mean, don't lie. But what if you were to say, you know, the truth is 
is I haven't really given you a chance to do much meaningful work on this project because this project is so important to me. You know, I admit I've been kind of a control freak on this thing, but I have to tell you part of the reason that I haven't handed it over to you is because I'm not sure you're vested in it. There you are. See, what we're too worried about, well, I'm right, you're wrong, we're good, they're bad. No, listen, what's wrong is wrong. And if it's wrong in me, it's wrong in me. And if it's wrong in them, it's wrong in them. And you know what we do is we stand for righteousness either way. And it actually puts you on much better ground and better footing for the fight when you're just honest, when we're humble with our shortcomings, then we can go forward. So the enemy, when you go out to fight, and the enemy will do this, he loves to accuse. He's going to say, yeah, but what about you? And all we say is, I need Jesus just as bad. We already established that. I mean, you come humbly like, yeah, I know I'm a mess. And so is this, but I'm not going to let this be a mess just because I'm a mess. What's wrong is wrong. And we're going to take care of it. See, Grace, listen, Grace family, listen to please. We have a huge, huge fight right now. There is a huge fight for our families. There's a huge fight for our children. There's a huge fight for our city and for righteousness. And can we agree, Grace? Can we agree that the way we're going to go forward is we are going to fight this, but we're going to fight it by being humble instead of hypocritical. So let's fight, but let's fight in humility. Let's start like Joshua did, and let's just purify ourselves, okay? Now, here's the second thing. When it's time to fight, and guys, I think it's time to fight. Here it is. Let's make sure that we're fighting the right fight. Make sure you're fighting the right fight. This passage is probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I think this is so great. And it's in uh, 5.13. It's just before they're about to go into Jericho. And it says, Now when Joshua was nearing Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. In his hand, Joshua went up to him and asked, and here's the question, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? This is why I love this passage, because the commander of the Lord's army, and and some think it was Jesus, some think it was an angel. Either way, he's from heaven, and this is what he says. Are you for us or for your enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. So the question was, are you on my side or on Jericho's side? And I love the commander of the army says, neither. The wrong question, the wrong question is, God, are you on my side? And the right question is, God, am I on your side? That's where we need to start. Am I fighting the right battle? Parents, fathers, mothers. I mean, this is so tricky, right? Because we're thinking like, is this the right fight? As a pastor, I struggled with this with my kids. It's like, do I make my kids go to church? I mean, it's my church, right? But they're always here, and do I make them always come? And it's it's really tough to hear as a pastor, and it was really hard for me, for me not to take it personally when they would say, I hate church. I don't want to go, right? I mean, I'd want to say, well, I hate your soccer team, and I don't want to go to that, but I go, right? But fortunately, I didn't say that. And so our approach with our kids is, Okay, don't go. We're not going to force you to go. But then we said, but you have to do something. I don't care if you go to FCA, Young Life, some other Bible study, some other church, but you pick, but you've got to do something for your faith. And here's a good way to see if you should fight the battle or not in your family or at your work or anywhere else. Ask yourself this question. What is the long-term consequence first in how they will experience and view God? And then second, 
What is the long-term consequence and how they'll experience and view themselves? See, is this going to interrupt their walk with Jesus? And I, and I realized if I force my kids to go to church, that actually could be bad for them. But if I said, well, you don't have to do anything, that could be just as bad. So I just said, you have to do something. Fortunately, most of them stay connected here at our church in some ways, but some went to other things as well. I, I didn't care as long as we were taking care of the right things. You know, will this, and then the second thing is, will this cause them to see themselves the way that God sees them? You know, if they're going to go to this party and they're going to do this thing and it's going to ruin how they view themselves and how they look at their, you know, if they get filled with shame from saying, I'm going to fight it. And I'm not going to say, well, go ahead and ruin yourself and ruin your self-image and ruin what you think about yourself. I'm not, I'm going to stand against that thing. So those are two questions. Will it help you? Will it help us? Um, what are, what are the two questions? They're really, really good ones. So what, so those are the two questions. What is the long-term consequence in how they're going to view themselves? And what is the long-term consequence in how they're going to view God? You know, have you ever um, played a video game and you finally conquered it? I mean, you have to put like 300 hours into this video game. And, and then you get down and you're like, ah, I, I destroyed, I took Alpha Centauri. I, I won the world, whatever it is. And, you know, I've done that before, like at two in the morning. And I look around, I'm like, so what? I mean, who cares? I am the master of this little fake universe. <laughs> and, and see, that's the thing, guys, is we're fighting battles sometimes. They're just hollow victories. You know, we won. Every American voted like me. Hooray. But you know what? If their hearts aren't changed, if they haven't turned to Jesus, we've still lost. Are we fighting the right battles? See, but before you launch the attack, first humbly and honestly check in, okay, God, is, this, is my heart right and then second of all, am I fighting your fight? Am I actually dying on the hill, God, that you want me to die on? And some things are right, but they're not necessarily our battles, right? And I've decided there's three hills that I'm going to die on. And parents, kids, do you know the hills that you're going to die on? Do you know the hills that you're going to fight for? Listen, I am going to fight to bring people to salvation. It's my call. And to help them grow in Jesus, I'm going to fight for that. That's a hill I'm going to die on. I'm going to stay true to the Word of God. I'm going to fight for that. And here's the third thing. I'm going to be faithful to my family. Those are three hills, and there's probably more, but those are the three that I thought of right away. When it comes to those three things, the Word of God, bringing people to salvation and depth in Jesus and faithfulness to my family, I will go to war. I will go to war for those things. Those are hills that I am called to fight for. And see, Jericho is called to fight, excuse me, Joshua is called to fight this battle of Jericho. And he's going to fight because God's called him to do it. So what fight are you called to? And here's the third thing that you do. And this is the third thing Joshua did. And let's look at uh, 620 now. And it says, And when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. Here's the third thing that we do in our battle. Declare war. Here's the problem. Christians, church, listen to me. I, I hope I'm talking to, to, to the church right now. Listen, we've declared discomfort instead of war, right? Like, well, I, I don't know. I'm just not too comfortable with that. It's ridiculous. Imagine like after Pearl Harbor, you know, if Congress got together and they said, oh, you know, we, we aren't too comfortable with how the bombers came and attacked Pearl Harbor. And so the Congress got together and we are officially declaring discomfort with Japan. Give me a break. 
It was time for war. And so if you've searched your own heart, you've sought God's heart in the matter, and you know that you're called to stand, then fight. Because this declaring declaring discomfort doesn't help anybody. It doesn't do anything. You know, declaring, I'm not too sure if I like this. When our kids are being lied to, come on. Declaring like, oh, I'm I'm not comfortable with this. When they're being tricked into self-harm and self-hate. Listen, I am declaring war in the fight for the hearts and minds of our kids, for the faith of our children. I am declaring war on the enemy, deceiving my friends and dragging them off to hell. I'm done with it. I'm fighting that. And I'm declaring war on the distractions and the petty problems that come in my relationships and my family and tear us apart from one another and the faith connection that we're supposed to have. I'm done with that. Declaring war on any pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. Dads, listen, get in the fight for your family. The right fight, the fight for their hearts and their minds and their salvation and their connection with you. And moms, jump into the fray and kids, take a stand here. Stop declaring discomfort with the direct work of the enemy in your life and declare war on the enemy. It's okay. You're supposed to fight. All right. Got a little excited. Now, here's the fourth thing. Let's use his strategy and let's use his weapons. So Joshua 6, 2. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up. Every man straight in. Okay, that is the most ridiculous battle plan we've ever heard if the fight were physical. But it's not. It's spiritual. And there's some really important things that are happening here. And so let's look at verse 11. So as Joshua carries this out, the first thing he does, it says, So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. That's how it started. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Now the ark of the covenant is it's the presence of God. So do you understand what's going on? So the very first step in their fight is they're marking out the territory with the presence of the Lord. They're going around the city and they're just saying, this belongs to God. And so here's the first question for you. What area are you claiming for the kingdom of God? What is the territory that you're taking? You know, is it your son? Is it your daughter? Is it your parents? Is it your neighbor? Is it your neighborhood? Is it the Western Slope? I mean, this is our territory that we are declaring for the kingdom. And we just mark it out and say, okay, this belongs to God. So define that territory that belongs to the the Lord and not to the enemy. All right, let's see what happens next. In verse 12, it says, And then Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armen went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept on sounding. So here's step two. We've defined our territory. Now we declare. See, verse 13. Did you see in verse 13 that trumpets is mentioned three times? He talks about the trumpets. See, because proclamation is actually part of our battle. And so this is how that looks like. The enemy can't have our kids. See, the enemy can't have their minds. The enemy can't have their hearts, can't fill them with despair and hopelessness any longer. See, I'm proclaiming that drugs and violence and hate 
cannot have this city and cannot have the Western Slope. And I'm proclaiming that deception can't have my beautiful state of Colorado that I grew up in. Deception, you can't have this state anymore. We're taking the state back in Jesus' name. See, I just made some proclamations for the fight after I've defined the territory that I'm going after. All right, now let's see what happens in verse 14. So it says, So on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in that same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. Now, seven is the number of biblical completeness. It means that it's full. It's the number of heaven, right? And so they march around it seven times, and they do that twice. So 14 times around. And it's simply this. Here's the third step in our fight. Bring it to completion. See, we don't stop the worship, we don't stop the prayer, we don't stop the proclamation until that time is complete. And it could be seven days, it could be seven months, it could be seven years, it could be seven decades. And we keep marching, we keep worshiping, we keep praying, and we keep proclaiming. Until what? Until it's time to attack. Until it's time to go in. Until the walls start to come down. And, or the Lord says, okay, now we move and now we begin. But we bring the prayer, we bring the preparation, we bring that to completion in our battle. All right, and then the final step, which we already read in 620, and the trumpet sounded and everybody goes rushing in. And so here's the fourth and final step. After completion comes advancing. See, what happens is in the completion, God brings down the walls. God does all the hard work, right? He does the miracles. We pray, we worship, we wait, and he fights. And then now, this is so important though, when he fights, you must advance into the victory that he gives. See, what happens if the Israelites are like, wow, the walls fell down. Okay, everybody, let's go home. See, the battle would have been incomplete. The door was open for them to go and advance and take the territory. So what this means for you is when you're praying for your neighbor and you see it like, wow, their heart is soft. Or God is doing something. He's, he's hitting this person from every angle. Or, or your, your son or your daughter, you're like, wow, for the first time, this conversation is open. See, that's the time that you have the talk. That's the time that you lead them in the prayer. That's the time that you go forward in this issue. Or maybe that's the time that you invite that neighbor over to church. But you have to advance into the victory that God is bringing. So we're ready. We're watching. We're waiting. You know, I mean, can you imagine what the Israelites are doing? It's like, well, what's he going to do, right? And then they, okay, we're supposed to yell now. Everybody yell. And they yell. And wow, okay, well, let's go. Let's get in there. Let's fight. Listen, church, it is time for us to join the battle. And this is the battle for hearts, and it's a battle for souls, and for truth, and the battle for righteousness. But you know what? Most of all, it's the battle for destiny. This is the destiny of your family, and your children, and your city, and your nation. And it's fought with worship, and it's fought with prayer, and it's fought with truth, and most of all, it's fought with love. And it's time for us Church, listen, it is time for us to rise up, not to declare our discomfort, but time for us to declare war, that the enemy, you may not, you cannot have our kids, and you can't have our homes, and you can't have our cities, and you can't have our schools, and you can't have our workplaces. And we're going to pray against it, and we're going to praise the Lord, and we're going to sing, and we're going to shout, and we're going to fight. And when the walls come down, we're going to advance. Grace Community Church, go out there and fight in the name of Jesus, win the battle that God is calling. Take the hills that he has marked out for you, okay? Love you. Happy Father's Day. I hope you have a chance to celebrate and relax. And then I, I hope you get out there and fight. 
thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in Him. God bless you.